Hello to you people in the future who are listening to another episode of Voices in My Head. Thank you for joining me today. Over the last few months, I've been honored to bring you great guests like Jason Gray, Sarah Groves, Michael Card, Andrew Peterson, Trip York, and Brian Zahn, just to name a few. It's been my pleasure to bring these podcasts to you, the listener, free of charge. The fact is, though, that there are operating expenses when you do a show like this, so rather than make this a paid podcast, I wanted to give the listeners a chance to help out. The Voices in My Head audience has grown exponentially since I began broadcasting in January of 2012, and there are people who listen from all over the globe. Because of this, and because I want to keep the podcast free, I'm offering you a chance to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head. Maybe you'd like to dedicate a show to a family member with a message for their birthday, or maybe you'd like to honor a loved one with some sort of special greeting. Perhaps you just want to showcase one of your websites or a business. So to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head, simply send me an email with your ad to rljames29 at yahoo.com. If I approve your ad, then I'll let you know in a follow-up email. Then simply go to rickleejames.com. Click on the tab that says Tip Jar, Podcast Sponsorship, follow the link to PayPal, and then leave your donation or sponsorship amount. If it sounds like a lot, then just send me an email and I'll talk you through the steps. Thank you again for listening to Voices in My Head, and enjoy today's episode. I honor the Holy One inside you. Namaste. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head. The official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Welcome back once again to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm excited to be here with you today. Episode number 22 already. Where has the time gone? This is part two of Theologian Avengers Assemble, and uh, this week I'm going to be welcoming my friend Matthew Cole, who is a uh, not only a, one of the smartest theologians slash pastors I've ever met in my life, um, he also is a comic book fan, and he has some neat insights that we're going to be talking about today. Once again, using the Avengers movie as kind of a jump-off point to talk about uh, some deeper spiritual things. But just before we get to that, we've got a couple things. Uh, it is another full show today. But I want to let you know that we have some great podcasts coming up in the next few weeks. Next week, David Black is going to be with us, pastor of Soma Community Church. The week after that, a uh, special Father's Day episode, I believe if I have my dates right, uh, with uh, my father, Randy Lee James, and he has written a book uh, that is about the book of Revelation, and it's really a great book. Recorded the interview this past weekend. We have some great stuff coming up. Also, in the future, we very near future, actually, in the next few weeks, we have a interview with Cindy Wilk. Colville coming up, who is a music publisher, a songwriting consultant uh, in Nashville. She is a 25-year veteran of the Christian music business and uh, has been a music publisher with two of Christian music's largest publishing companies, Benson and Word Music Publishing, and uh, was vice president at Word. And she has signed artists like Matthew West, Jason Ingram, Cindy Morgan, Clint Lagerberg, uh, Jason Walker, and many more. 
She's going to be a guest on our show in just a few weeks, and we're going to do something that uh, I think is pretty interesting. If you're a singer, songwriter, uh, aspire to that in any way, I want you to email your song to me. Send me an MP3 uh, along with lyrics uh, of the song, and Cindy is actually going to critique your song on the air, and you're going to get to have uh, basically some some free advice from somebody who has been at this a while and knows what she's talking about. Uh, it, it, if you want to be a part of something really neat and a first here on Voices in My Head, then make sure you send that. My email address, again, is rljames29 at yahoo.com. You can find all this information at rickleejames.com, and you can even contact me through the Voices in My Head listener page on Facebook. So, uh, without any further ado, I want to go into the next section of the show, but just wanted to let you know of some of those exciting things we have coming up in the near future. Uh, we're going to move into... Question of the Week. Question of the Week. The Question of the Week is found on the Voices in My Head Facebook page, and this week the question was, what DC comic characters should be in the Marvel Universe, and which Marvel comic characters should be in the DC Universe? We had just a few answers today, and every week Matthew Cole answers the question, but Matt is actually my guest today on the show, and he gets to give his own answer Tim Smith says, I have no clue, but my daughter says she feels like Captain America should be with the Justice League. I wrote back and said, smart girl. I had never thought about that before, but I think Captain America could fit in because he's kind of a, a do-gooder and, you know, they say Superman is, you know, just a big boy scout and Captain America certainly fits that. Matthew Cole says, I would say... Wait, didn't I already answer this? And indeed, Matthew did answer this on today's episode. Last week, we had Greg Voiles on the first part of the Theologian Avengers Assemble podcast, and this week we have part two. We did have a little bit of a feedback from last week's episode, and I want to make sure that I share that before we go any further, too. Well, our feedback this week is on the Facebook page again, and it's from a person who calls himself... Crimson Sparrow, and they say, I appreciate the graciousness with which you address patriotism and the way you nuance our nationalistic story with the story of a king and a kingdom. Good job, yo, with a smiley face. So thank you so much for that feedback, Crimson Sparrow. I appreciate that and hope you'll continue to listen to today's episode because Matthew Cole um, is just as brilliant as Greg Voiles last week. I just I feel humbled to be able to sit and have conversations and even call these guys my friends. Um, but they are definitely uh, have a lot of great insight, and today is no exception. Uh, let's see, need to do anything else? Oh, just one last thing. If you want to leave feedback for the show, that would be great. You can do that on the Facebook page, but I strongly encourage you to go to iTunes. And if you could take 60 seconds of your life, go to iTunes and write a review for this podcast on Voices in My Head, the podcast page on iTunes. It really does help us with visibility. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. Uh, if you haven't been able to donate anything, which I'm telling you, nobody has yet. Uh, so if you, if you can't afford to give anything towards the show, uh, I really want this to be something that lots of people can hear. And if you can't afford any money, maybe you could go to iTunes. If you've been enjoying these shows 
so far. We're 22 episodes in, uh, well over an hour of conversation each week on the show usually. And um, if you have a chance, just go to iTunes, 60 Seconds of Your Life. Uh, write a review if, you, if you've enjoyed the show. Leave a positive review, and you can help us gain visibility on iTunes and gain listenership. Also, tweet about us, Facebook about us, anything you can do to help us get the word out. We appreciate uh, I want to keep this podcast going, and I think that we're going to have uh, some exceptional people in the days to come. I actually know of a few guests that we have coming up that you're going to be thrilled to hear, I know. And uh, trying to get some real diversity on the show as well with uh, different people and different topics and ideas. So great things coming up here in the future. Well, we have another great interview today with Matthew Cole on part two of Theologian Avengers Assemble here on Voices in My Head, the official Rickley James podcast. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Blessings. Well, my guest today for part two of Avengers, or maybe Theologians Assemble, is Matthew Cole. He is, I believe, the first guest that I've had back on the show. This is his second time, so uh, he was such a hit the first time I had to bring him back, not only because he is an excellent pastor and a deep thinker about the things of God, but he also is a comic book fan, specifically Marvel Comics. And uh, so I'm glad to have Matthew Cole back with us, pastor of Lexington Calvary Church of the Nazarene. So, Matthew, thank you for being on Voices in My Head for a second time. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for the compliments. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. I mean them all. So, uh, well, we're going to start right off, as I do almost every week, with Question of the Week. And uh, actually, before we do that, just in case anybody didn't hear the first time you were on, do you want to give a real quick uh, rundown about who you are, just so people will know. Yeah, um, as you said, my name is Matthew Cole. I am a uh, pastor in Lexington, Kentucky, at Lexington Calvary Church in Nazarene. We've been here um, almost eight full years, and absolutely loving the uh, ministry here. Have a uh, beautiful wife. Her name is Kara. She's a, uh, a physician assistant in pediatric surgery. And as of well, now 16 days ago, sorry, 17 days ago, we uh, now have two children in our household. Uh, we have a, a new baby girl. Her name is Madeline Nadine, and we have a three-year-old. Her name is Mabry Lynn. All right. And that is your most important uh, your most important title is dad and husband, I assume. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, now we're going to get into question of the week. And uh, last week, I had Greg Voiles on the show, and the question of the week for him was, which Avenger uh, from the movie do you most relate to? So I'm not going to let you answer that one. I'm going to let you go online and answer that on question of the week. Okay. You do that. But it'll be nice since you, I think, are the only person that has answered every single question of the week from the time I started asking them. It'll be nice to have you answering them live on the air here. It is my joy in life to answer the question of the week. <laughs> All right. Well, this is one that I think will be a good one for you because uh, it's a comic book related question since we're talking some things about the Avengers movie today. And uh, this does not have to be just characters that were in the Avengers movie when I asked this question. This is just a, a DC slash Marvel comic question, okay? Okay. And the question is, uh, what DC comic character should be in the Marvel universe, and then vice versa, what Marvel comic character should be in the DC universe? Oh, wow. Um, that's 
I had never thought of it that way. Um, let's do DC to Marvel first. I think the one character that that would make the jump from DC into Marvel would be Aquaman. Um, I, I could see him actually fitting into the Marvel uh, universe. I could actually really see him fitting into the Avengers. Um, Marvel Universe, and I know that there's not as much of this conversation as, as there was back in the late 80s, early 90s. Everything revolved around the conversation of the mutant and whether or not you were truly part of the the X-Men and things along those lines, if you were or were not a mutant. Aquaman seems to have that, that sort of fit that would go both ways. As far as a Marvel character going into the DC Universe... Um, first off, I guess you'd have to distinguish which DC universe since they have 25 million of them. Um, the, uh, not, not anymore. They, they started, so there's not quite as many as there were. But, um, I would like to see Thor be the one that would make that jump uh, to and from. He's sort of your your Superman of the Marvel Universe. He's, he's about as flawless of a character as you can get. Uh, the one who has no ultimate weaknesses, uh, similar to your Superman. And it would be an interesting thing to see that that dynamic go back and forth. And uh, as I'm answering this question, I realize that both of the answers that I gave are heroes, and I can't really think of an, a villain that would make that jump quite as well as what the heroes would. Hmm. And you you want to know mine? Well, we're something. Yes. Um, I've always thought of, uh, until recently, Marvel has been a bit more dark because it's been a, li a little bit more reality-based than yep. uh, DC has. And I've always kind of thought Batman would fit really easily into the Marvel Universe, especially when you think of like characters like the Punisher and Daredevil and different ones that are just like they don't have powers, but they're like as tough as they come, you know? Right. So I've always felt kind of like Batman at times was in the wrong universe, <laughs> especially when he's the real, the real gritty, dark guy. And then everybody else on the JLA was like, you know, always real bright colors and they almost shared one mind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, I've all, I've also often thought that Spider-Man could make the jump into DC because of his, especially in the teenage years, uh, because it just seemed like with all of his wisecracking and jokes and everything, it always feels like he could make an easy transition into like the Justice League or something. But um, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Not all the characters actually would go very easily into each other's world, I, I don't think. So. I will say this. Spider-Man can go anywhere and, and still just be the most awesome thing ever. Um, the, the Batman back over was actually my first inclination to say that, but I'm in the back of my mind thinking he couldn't be in Marvel for more than two or three episodes before he would have some type of mutant gene somewhere. His detectiveness would be a mutant thing. Yeah, <laughs> probably so. That's true. Well, we're going to get into some questions, and uh, Greg Voiles was a, a great person to talk to about this last week and I, i'm gonna let listeners know we're trying not to do too many spoilers from the movie because i know a lot of people maybe have not seen the avengers movie and so this is not uh, again this is in case you missed last week's episode this isn't like a movie review podcast today but uh we're fans of the avengers movie and we're fans of comic books and the stories that go with them, and uh, we're also fans of of thinking about things in in uh, in the light of the gospel and what it would mean to live out the kingdom of God. And um, actually, the Avengers movie, while we're not claiming it's a work of 
you know, it's going to be an Oscar performance or anything, or even that it has great theological depth to it, or that was the intent of it. Um, it, it doesn't stop us from actually finding good questions within uh, to be able to ask. And it is just a, a really fun movie. So I recommend the movie if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but it there may be spoilers in here is what I'm trying to get at. So if you haven't seen the Avengers movie, uh, we're going to try to keep it fairly spoiler-free, but there will be a few things that as we have our conversation, I just know we'll probably give away parts of the film. So if you want to be you know completely surprised, you might want to uh, go watch the movie first and then come back to this podcast, which is a great thing about podcasts because they're always there. You can come back to them whenever. So um, – First question I have for you, and I told Greg last week that um, I saw this film in a maybe the coldest movie theater on the planet. I don't know why they feel like they have to uh, set the temperature on Antarctica when you go in, but um, if I if I could have uh, gone into the movie theater with a coat and mittens and a scarf, I probably would have and, and still have been a little bit cold because the theater was so cold that I saw it. But uh, what kind of theater did you see it in? Where did you see the movie at? Um, actually, my uh, um, uh, associate pastor here on staff and I, we, uh, who, interestingly enough, his first daughter was born just about a month before Madeline was. And so this was our um, escape from wet diapers and crying for just a, a brief while. Uh, we went and watched it in a, a 3D theater here in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and we went on a Monday afternoon. So um, it, the movie had been out for a little over a week. Um, it was a Monday evening. The, the theater wasn't super crowded first 3d movie i've ever seen that i was impressed by it being a 3d movie hmm. so was i know there wasn't as big of a crowd then i i went on friday night when it opened and there was almost this feel of like you know a star wars movie like the the movies were sold out and the lines were long and i had to like wait forever to get in and people were dressed up in costumes and doing face painting and all kinds of stuff was there any any sort of atmosphere like that even though it wasn't very full when you went in um, for a Monday night movie, there wasn't any of the atmosphere of, you know, people actually getting into character or, or doing anything out of the ordinary other than showing up. But for a Monday night movie to have that many people there, I mean, the theater was probably still, it was well over halfway full, mm-hmm. uh, which on the times I've been to a Monday uh, Monday evening movie, there's been times I walk in and it's me, my popcorn in the movie. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I heard a statistic. Another reason I, I kind of wanted to use this film is I, as I told Greg last week, I feel like this film kind of has its pulse on the culture right now um, because for whatever reason, I, I don't I don't think this counts the overseas numbers, but I think uh, as of last weekend um, and, and at the time of this podcast is going to be longer, but it was I think for, at 14 days in U.S. theaters – it had made $400 million, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that doesn't count overseas where I think it had already done that much and maybe more um, because it came out overseas maybe almost a month before it came out here. So um, it's it's one of those things that's not just um, national but seems to be something that has the international pulse on it right now for better or for worse. So I, I felt like maybe it was a good thing to talk about on that end too, just because it's very rare that everybody seems to gravitate. And I, I've said to someone that it feels like to me in some ways, like this could almost be the star Wars for this generation, because it just, 
Like, it didn't matter who was in the theater. It was old people. There was young people. There was people in the middle. There was, you know, all different ages, races, colored creeds. They seemed to all be there. Um, and I know a lot of pastor friends that were going. I know a lot of atheist people that were going. I mean, so it's just, it's not like this is the the movie that's going to bring the world together. But in a sense, it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got so, home that, that evening and was talking with my wife about the movie. She's really excited to go see it as well. And as we were conversing back and forth about it, you know, I said, I said it was almost as if though I was watching Shakespeare in his own context. It wasn't a movie that was written to change the world. It wasn't a movie that was written to be, you know, this political state or didn't seem to me to be this political statement on much of anything. It was just a fun, enjoyable, entertaining movie to watch. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we can have conversations like this where we're going to read into it and be able to converse about it. But it was just an incredibly fun movie, and I don't think you could leave the theater feeling really offended at having watched this movie. And maybe that's part of the reason um, the uh, the statement I'm trying to remember, the radio personality that I used to hear um, uh, uh, Robert E. Redford uh, used to call the uh, call our country United States of the Offended. And it was one of those <laughs> movies that was so well done because you, no one left the theater offended. It was just a fun movie to watch. You said Robert Redford said that? Um yeah, I think that was the guy's name. Not not the actor. No, not the actor. Oh, okay. No, it's a radio personality. I, I do like Robert Redford, especially when he directs, but uh, yeah, interesting. Um, well, we're going to talk about some things, and again, this is reading in a bit into the film, but I'm going to start with a question that my pastor asked uh, me specifically the other night at a Bible study we were in. And uh, the, first, the it goes like this, and you might have to think about it just a second, but um, the question is, was Jesus a superhero? When you think, um, think about wow. the categories of what a superhero is. Wow. I, I know you just love having dead air. Um, that, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always it's good listening. That. Actually, I was thinking as I was coming on to the podcast, I was like, I wonder, uh, you know, how much he would just love me if every question I answered was just yes, no. <laughs> Yes. No. I've heard interviews like that before. Actually. I, um, yeah, we're we're not talking about the worship band one either, huh? Um, no. The uh, um, no, I don't think he was. Um, there is this sense of when you have a superhero, there is this need and there's this conflict that always goes on. The the comics that I read the most hands down uh with spider-man or anything associated with spider-man and as much as I, I like to to bash the dc universe i loved uh batman comics and i loved uh the uh the green lantern series but one thing i'll have to say is that there seems to be this internal conflict that always goes on in everything that's involved in being a superhero of this issue of 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 trying to mesh this selfish identity of who i want to be Versus this identity of who the world is calling me to be and and this this conflict of, well, one day they want me to be this and one day they want me to be that. And while while Christ clearly had the conflict in the garden or in the garden of Gethsemane and he he is doing this. Do I want to go forward with who I know I am? There was a sense of humility that always followed Christ, that there was never this moment where where he ever doubted the truth of who he really was. There were moments where it was difficult to follow through on it, but there was never ambiguity on his humility. And as much as you've got superheroes like Spider-Man, who at least 
back in the 90s and, and earlier on in the comic book series who was probably the epitome of at least our concepts of humility, there was still always this sense of where the world was getting in their head and allowing them to be shaped and formed by who they are. And, and to be a superhero, while there's the superpowers and the the supernatural things that, that no one else could do type mentality there, um, that I, that I think would disqualify Jesus as being a superhero. I think the other thing that sort of disqualifies Jesus from being a superhero, and, and it's where we've made a mistake as a church of forcing superhero traits upon him is Jesus never does anything that he doesn't call his followers to do by that same grace and power of the spirit. And while I would love it, absolutely love to be bitten by a radioactive spider, um, chances are it's not going to happen. And even if it did, it's not going to turn me into Peter Parker and Spider-Man. It would probably just kill you. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Uh, and that's not necessarily an Avengers question, but it was just one that my pastor had asked. And um, at the time of recording this, it's actually May 21st. You're going to be getting this a couple weeks after that um, online, listeners. Um, but yesterday was Ascension Sunday, and that means this coming week, um, I think it's the 27th this coming Sunday, uh, for us when we're recording anyway at this time, is Pentecost Sunday. And um, I, I had to answer no to that too about Jesus being a superhero, and, and it was specifically because of what you said about he doesn't do anything that he doesn't call us to do. And um, maybe short of dying on a cross, which, he, you know, that's debatable, too, because he does say, if you're going to follow me, you know, take up your cross. <laughs> so um, even that is there. Something about that whole daily dying thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yesterday, you know, I think the ascension is is one of those mysterious passages where we talk about Jesus going back up. And, and often I, I think I've had the wrong view of that and i've almost thought of it as jesus you know flies up into heaven and you know up up and away you know <laughs> almost type thing <laughs> and i don't i don't think that it's uh you know any uh i i don't think it's by any coincidence that people throughout the centuries and and have drawn on characters like that 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 have some christ-like things about them and and maybe even one of those things the the picture of jesus flying you know we're always fascinated by being able to fly and stuff but yesterday as as i was looking at um some ascension passages and actually found a pretty neat article online about the ascension um, you know, Jesus doesn't have any, any powers per se, you know, and, and the interesting thing about it is, um, I would classify a superhero as someone who has a power that other humans don't have. And the powerful thing about like Pentecost and really the coming, the way Jesus was at the Ascension is that he's actually bestowing, um, the same relationship that he has with the Father through himself as the holy spirit upon everybody in the church and um it's it's very interesting because it's not like he has something that hasn't been offered to us as well and some quotes that i found when i think about the ascension we're going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail for just a second but i i have the ascension on my mind um jürgen moltmann said about heaven because it says jesus was taken up into heaven says, heaven is the sphere of creation which already totally corresponds to God because it is totally pervaded by his glory. And then I have a quote by Karl Barth which says, he, Jesus, returns to heaven which is the dwelling of God in his creation. 
And it's we don't often think about heaven as a place that's actually in creation. It's just the place where God is in his fullness. And even that passage where it says Jesus was taken up and he was covered by a cloud is that same Old Testament Shekinah glory type of cloud that just is symbolic of the nearness and the presence of the Lord, the same cloud that you know, followed the Israelites through the desert and led them. Um, so it's interesting that Jesus now, as we kind of celebrate on Pentecost Sunday, um, is present to us even more than he was before. It's not that he went away someplace that's far off called heaven. He actually has become the kingdom of God here with us. And uh, so anyway, I was just thinking about that. you have any further thoughts about the – Yeah, ascension? two things. Um, number one, I want to give an edit to what I said earlier. I said Robert Redford. Robert Rayford is the Rayford. name. So okay. it was, at least it was somewhat close. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Um, I think that many times we've had such this incorrect sense – of eschatology we've had such an incorrect sense of what jesus's ministry was and this and whenever i say this i grew up in the southeast uh, and continue to minister lexington's the northern uh, towards the northern end of the state of kentucky but i still consider kentucky to be the southeast um and and in this mentality it's very much a sense of well what was the work of jesus well jesus died so that you could get to heaven well, what's heaven heaven is where you get to get away from all this mess and and get up where god is which is such an incorrect view of what Jesus's reconciling, redeeming work of trying to get all of creation reconciled back to God is. And so we almost treat ascension, in, at least in this context, we almost treat ascension as if this uh, Jesus clocking out. You know, he, he, he served, he put in his time, and it's 5 o'clock, and now he's clocking out and going to head to the house and, and just hang out until time to come back and get the rest of us. And we don't – we fail to realize <clears> – <throat> And, and I love the way that you even said it there. We we tend to have this misinterpretation of him going off to heaven as if though he's somewhere further away. But yet what we see in the ascension is he is actually bringing us closer to where heaven is, to where this complete and total reign of God is. And that's what you get a glimpse of this upcoming Sunday with Pentecost is this is what happens in an upper room with 150 where the glory of God and the reign of God come in in such a real and tangible and supreme way. And then that in turn folds over and, you know, when they go outside the room and they begin to proclaim there and what is it, you know, the 3000 that are coming in that first day and numbers and numbers added to them daily. It's not as if though Jesus has went further away. It's the truth and reality that Jesus has brought this kingdom of God, the reign of God, so incredibly closer. Yeah. And, of course, at the time of, of this being published online, it's going to be about a week after Pentecost even. But what a neat thing that, you know, I, I, I'm coming to think of this in a new way, but the giving of the Holy Spirit, it's – if we I think if we translate that – uh, biblically and and not just in a, a modern context of you know you have the holy spirit now start speaking in tongues or something i really feel like it's such a deeper meaning and understanding that that literally jesus is giving this same relationship that he has with the father he is giving that to us and and not hoarding that and saying this is just something that belongs to me he's saying you know you're sharing now in in the same closeness, the same intimacy, the same power, uh, the same depth of even suffering. Um, I'm sharing this with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, 
you know go out and live as I have lived. So what a what a cool thing to be able to celebrate, you know. And and uh, you know I hope that everybody has made Pentecost, you know, their priority other than Easter in their church calendar scheduling because it really should be next to Easter probably the biggest celebration of the year um, because this is where Easter really becomes real and is given to the church to be lived out. So if you didn't do it this year, next year, make sure Pentecost becomes your priority at church. Um, so. um, and one of the things that you said there going back to this issue of is, is Jesus a superhero? The very idea of that that term of superhero is that you're saying something beyond the norm, something right. that that is special, exceptional to this one instance. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I would argue that Jesus is not that superhero, and, and I guess a further explanation of what we've already said, Jesus is not a superhero because he is the actual example of being fully human. Right. And everything shy of that is something that is subhuman. It's something that is lacking what we were created to be in the first place. Right. And uh, we've we've just come out of a a season of well we're coming um, out of a season of of the Easter season and and this past Lenten season and we've spent 14 weeks now uh, counting the Sunday that's coming up which uh, as of this interview will be will be Pentecost and everything has been about humility every passage that we've come to all of our lections have focused on this truth of living and knowing who we really are. And it's such an incredibly freeing thing to realize that Christ didn't come with some superpower agenda to make bad people good, but Jesus Christ came to make dead people alive mm. and uh, and to truly allow us to live. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, let's get into actually a little bit of, of what was in the Avengers movie because I, I want to play um, – maybe we should say Loki's advocate uh, instead of devil's advocate or something. Uh, we can do that uh, from the movie. But Loki actually um, – makes a claim that I don't think is a false claim necessarily um, in in the movie. And this is where we might get a little bit spoilery, okay? So, you know, plug your ears or whatever if you haven't seen the Avengers movie yet. But um, I believe I have the quote right. I tried to piece it together from places online and from memory. But my question is this. Is there truth in Loki's claim? There's one point in the movie where I think it's at an opera house or something, and he's gone in and taken this guy's eye, which is kind of a – it's kind of a really cool scene, actually. Um, it might be gross, but you don't really see much, so I can't tell. But he goes out outside of what I believe is an opera house, and he's basically terrorizing all these humans that are around, and um, he's basically coming at them as someone that's going to be trying to rule them, and he says, Neil – is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. You were made to be ruled, and in the end, you will always kneel. And uh, so my question to you, Matt, when you think about that statement, is there truth in the human condition to that claim that Loki, the bad guy, makes? Yes and no. There's truth in the sense that we were made. Um, for something other than just self-sovereignty. And I think that that's what he is attacking. Um, our sense of freedom is so often misconstrued with this, this view of I'm only free whenever I'm the sort of, uh, to borrow from the, the poem Invictus, you know, the captain of my fate, the master of my destiny. 
Um, and I may have had that right. It might be master of my fate, captain of my destiny. But but only when we have this invictus sort of I am free to be me and I answer to no one. I am self-sovereign. Uh, are we really free? And the the misnomer of that is, is uh, um, I believe it was George Bernard Shaw who said it this way. He said, hell is the place where we have to do exactly what we want to do all the time. Hmm. And and there is a sense in which Loki hits the the nail uh, directly on the proverbial head whenever he says, you know, you you really are, it's it's your natural state. It's more natural for you to be in a place of of servanthood, although that is definitely not. He's saying it's more natural for you to be in subservancy, right. uh, which is not the case. But it is a more natural thing for us to be in the state of servanthood because that's how we were created. Um, the the language in the ex or in the Genesis account of our creation, where in the Hebrew it uses this concept that we are a zealum of God, and and it's this concept, this this beautiful idea that in in kingdoms the the king or the ruler would place at the uh, at the edges of their kingdom, and I, and I think that whenever I've I've preached about this before, I I like to use the example out of the. Uh, um, the Lord of the Rings, the the Fellowship of the Ring movie, you know, where they're they're coming down, the, or maybe it was the second movie, but they're coming down the river, and there's these two huge statues of kings of Gondor, and they've got their hands extended, and the people are standing, and they're they're in the boats, and they stand up, the hobbits do, and they're looking, and they're just in awe of these, and they're asking, it's like, oh, well, you're entering their realm. These are statues of the kings, and they're letting us know you are now in their kingdom. And when we as human beings can accept this reality that we were designed to be zealots, to be these images of the creator, king, God of this kingdom, to be representatives of him and not to be our own self-sovereigns, there is a, a natural inclination where Loki's right. This is just easier. However, to stretch it to the point to say you were meant to be ruled slash subservient, then we've once again perverted um, that subserviency just as far to the other side as we have a tendency, especially in our own country, to pervert it to the side of self-sovereignty. Right. Well, that's that's a good point because I like so much that is uh, so much that's false. There's a small grain of truth in it um, to what he's saying, but he's not saying the full truth either. Um, his idea of you know humanity is that you are ultimately just to be slaves and you'll do my bidding and you'll do anything I tell you to. So you have to kneel. And, um, I, I think, you know, I think he's right in the sense that, um, everything but God actually does place us eventually in that slave like position where we become slaves to it. And that can be, um, you know, that can be addictions to drugs, that can be um, any sort of um, sometimes damaging relationships that we go one, one after another into um, because we've not learned how to be in a healthy state. And so there's abusive relationships that goes on. There's things like pornography, which is basically, you know, um, a false intimacy without any rejection, you know, you, you're not rejected by your computer or whatever it is you're looked at. Um, and, and there's a sense that we can become slaves to those things. And, and the sad thing about that, and even eating addictions, anything else, we don't want to be slaves to those things. Initially, we think that we control them, but 
eventually they actually become our masters and and they are not easy masters either they're something that um will will never take you down a good path they actually always will take you to the place of pain and the pa place of hurt and uh, but i want to i want to read a couple scripture passages quickly that come to mind when i think of the passage of maybe a more godly perspective on the kind of kneeling that god brings us to like philippians chapter 2:10 uh, it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then um, Romans chapter 14, 11, which is a similar passage, it says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. Uh, and that in itself is a paraphrase of, of Isaiah 45, 23. And the kind of bowing that that we do before God, I think, um is actually a free response to to glory. I think it's a free response that we have to what other response could we possibly have? You know, as as we see um, the light of someone so freeing and someone that is so merciful and good and as God is, and I think we see that in Christ. And you know, what what do you have when you have? Um, let's take a passage like. Um, the adulterous woman who was drugged before Jesus by some very, uh, very hateful pharisaical type people who were ready to stone her because that's what the law said should be done. And Jesus begins to scribble in the sand and, you know, in that creative moment, I'm sure he's thinking about what he's going to say and then says those words that have echoed through time that still speak to us. You know, let those of you who have no sin cast the first stone and you remember, Matt, what, what her response is to Jesus once everyone is gone? Oh, it's a response of worship. Yeah. I mean, do you, I, um, if I, I'm trying to recall because I don't have the passage right in front of me, um, but everybody seems to one by one drop these stones and walk away because none of them can make the claim that they have no sin. And so what's Jesus' response to her is I, I think she's kind of kneeling before him. <laughs> Well, and plus there's this there's this reality that she is now in this sense of awe and and to a large degree. And I think this is part of where the Loki thing really plays back in and, and can help us even have a better view of even the story you're talking about with with the uh, the woman caught in adultery. Um, again, I think it's always worthy of pointing out that um, I always figured it would take two to commit adultery. And, and I find it interesting that she's the only one that's brought before him. Right. Um, but but part of what her response is and part of what Loki is, is we sometimes um, really destroy freedom by trading in freedom for slave trading. Mm hmm. What happens in the Loki situation, and he's just talking about trading in one master for another master, and now he just wants to be the new master. And I think we have, as human beings, been so subjugated to that reality of one master for another master, whether even if that master is self-sovereignty. Here is a woman who is now basically turned and, and seen Jesus as, okay, well, now I'm no longer subject to them, but now I'm subject to you. And I love the beauty of Christ's response of, Go and sin no more. He, he, you know, we, we use that phrase and, and it is out of scripture for freedom. Christ has set us free. He set her free, not just so that he could be the next slave master. He set her free so that she could have freedom. She right. now has the choice to do something good with it or go right back to where she was. But he says to her, you know, you have been 
set free. Well, he doesn't say those exact words, but but in essence, he's saying, "You go. You have this freedom now. Go and sin no more." Well, and 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 even just before he says that, you know, he asks you, uh, and th- again, this is the Rick James paraphrase because I don't have the Bible in front of me, but. Uh, woman, where are those who would condemn you? And basically, her response is, "There are none. You know, they aren't here anymore." And uh, and that's where he he delivers those words, which are just you know full of grace. Of you know, neither do I condemn you. You know, go and sin no more. What a um, that those aren't the words of a cruel master. You know? No. What is that? That was my uh, computer in the background deciding oh. it needed to wake up. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. I thought as we're talking about this, music from heaven was starting to play, and I thought, like, what? What is that? Um, well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, let, let's get into a little bit – dive just a little bit more deeper into that concept. That was terrible grammar. A little bit more deeper should not be the word. It should be a little, <laughs> a little deeper into the concept. Um, or more deeply and use it as an adverb. So. More deeply. We could do that. But let's think about that for just a second, about this metaphor of kneeling. I, I tend to think, as I said before, things that aren't God are cruel masters, and they require subservience, and they require kneeling, um, and, and they they force it upon you. And Loki is definitely a character in that movie that is forcing his rule upon people and doesn't understand um, – <laughs> to use a Spider-Man thing of with great power also comes great responsibility – uh, often the villains just want more power to use power for power's sake and to lord it over everybody else how powerful they're not. And Christ is unique in that, you know, again, going back to that Pentecost metaphor, the disciples, if they're kneeling, are kneeling because they're in awe of grace and freedom that is given. And for Jesus to share power, to share love, and it's interesting that you know you can give love. It's the only commodity I can think of that you can just give infinitely of, and it never diminishes. Um, and that's something that the godly love that Christ gives definitely is. But think about it in terms of this too. You know, if now now that you're a parent twice over, and uh, I don't think that you. Um, I don't think that you necessarily want your girls to like be coming up to you all the time and going like kneeling before you and being like, oh, great father, how wonderful you are. And I am so undeserving to be at your table, you know, <laughs> things like that. Like there, there is a sense in which you want their respect and you want their love. But at the same time, I mean, they're your children. Like, how how weird would that be for Mabry, you know, if every day you expected her as she, you know, comes downstairs to the breakfast table, okay, Mabry, kneel before me, you know? Maybe talk a little bit about that as as the God, as as father, and maybe some of your experience as being a father, maybe how that has helped you see that role differently. Well, as the father of a uh, an incredibly witty three year old, let me tell you that her coming downstairs and kneeling before me ain't never going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, in fact, quite the opposite. My my daughter may come in and say, "Daddy, bow before me." Yeah. Um, <laughs> presence and and she might get it. Pull, she might be able to pull that off too. She uh, um, she frightens me way more than Loki ever could. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I agree. I would never. In fact, that would be. Whether it was done in public or whether it was, you know, like you said, at the breakfast table, she comes downstairs in the morning. 
it would be probably one of the most horrifying things in the world to see my daughter come and and actually be afraid of me in the sense of, oh, daddy, I bow before you and your awesomeness and, and well, you're I, just I, the coolest dad ever. Yeah, my, um, I only deserve the scraps of Cheerios that have fallen on the floor, you know. <laughs> exactly. I would I would be mortified uh, to see that happen because I would I would be questioning myself. Number one, what have I done? Um to, to make my daughter so afraid of me? What have I done to change this relationship? Because, and then I realize every father probably feels the same way, but I feel like I have the greatest relationship in the world with my little girl. She is, she is amazing. She is remarkable. She has the, if I had the wit that she had, uh, I would be a stand up comic today uh, and not a pastor. Uh, she just, she, she amazes me with her insight and, and the way that she sees the world uh, but one of the greatest things about it, and and I don't call my my daughter my buddy. You know, I don't I don't think my daughter would think of me as her best friend. She doesn't insult me that way. She thinks of me as her dad, um, and and I'm the only person in the world that ever gets to do and be that role. And I, and I take great joy and and great thanksgiving in that. But in the sense of fear being a basis of that relationship, even when she's in trouble, she doesn't fear me. She uh, she knows she's in trouble, and she regrets sometimes getting busted and getting in trouble, but. Um, I couldn't imagine looking into my daughter's eyes and seeing her fearing me. I, I can't think of anything that would hurt me worse. I would rather my child be upset with me and say, I hate you, Daddy, than to look in my child's eyes and see her afraid of me. Hmm. Well, and that is, that's actually good to hear. I'm glad that you're not doing a fear-based relationship with Jared. <laughs> uh, but, you you know, you, you actually um, – said something a minute ago that was interesting you said it may in fact be that my daughter would come downstairs and tell me to kneel yeah <laughs> that, that, that wouldn't surprise me and that again i mean if we want to use that in relationship to how we are sometimes to the father i, I want to take the other route of saying we're not into cheap grace either that just takes it all for granted and and treats god like he's our slave and um if if we're looking at a father-child relationship especially um, you know, the child needs to know, uh, just as we need to know with God, that we aren't the boss, you know, <laughs> that that there is an authority that's over and above them. It's authority that is with love, but it's not a, an authority that just says, you know, I love you so you can do whatever you want. You rule this place. You can tell me what to do. Um, we, we don't want to forget, too, that, you know, um, I think of passages like Job where after everyone has had uh, their say – telling everything to explain God out to a T because they've got him all figured out. Um, finally, God comes on the scene and begins with these words, you know, who who are you to darken my counsel? You know, who speaks these empty words without knowledge? And, and uh, you know, surely you were there when creation was formed. Surely you were there, you know, and there's this this interesting dynamic between our relationship with God that sometimes God does need to chasten us, you know, and, and bring discipline to us in a loving way, just like a good parent that reminds us of the relationship. And I, I, I have, I'm of the mindset that God doesn't even have to do a lot of punishing because I think our own sinful paths punish us in themselves um, and take us away from that relationship. But it was interesting that you, you said that because there, there are both sides to this relationship that we have. And, and along those same lines of this issue of, of cheap grace. Like you said, our own sinful natures tend to be a good enough punishment for us. Our God is not as we many times want to make him out when we try to, you know, use such 
incredibly ludicrous language like, oh, well, there's God's got a reason for everything, um, which is probably one of the dumbest things we can say as, as human beings. We simply sometimes have to sit back and realize, you know, our father, our, our loving and benevolent father has said to us multiple times, don't grab hold the electric fence. Don't grab hold the electric fence. Don't grab hold the electric fence. And then we we get upset and angry at God that when we grab hold the electric fence, we get shocked. Um, when when we've been told, we've been warned, we've been given the the revelation that grabbing hold of the electric fence not a good idea. And we we do have this reality that that our own consequences, not our punishments, but our own consequences for our activities, are often more than enough. Um, and, and I don't see God up there just simply divvying out the lightning bolts near so much as he has been saying, please don't go down that road. Please don't go down that road. Please don't go down that road. Well, so maybe it's the uh, the southern accent that makes me think of Jeff Foxworthy, what he said one time. But he was talking on a similar topic, and he said, um, you know, when it comes to telling your kids don't stick your finger in the light socket, he said, he says, I just let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it says, ow, hurt, didn't it? Well, don't do that again. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I believe, uh, isn't it Paul in Romans who says eventually he just turns us over to our own debased thinking? I, I think there is to a certain extent. So, And, and uh, one of the other things I wanted to, to say along those same lines, earlier you talked about the the various gods that claim and, and make us subservient. And you listed off, you know, the, the pornography, the drug addiction, the, the vices. I think sometimes we also have to pause and realize we can just as easily give ourselves over to a very unhealthy relationship to some things that we would also even argue is quite virtuous. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people say, I'm putting my relationship with God on the back burner because, well, I think I need to spend more time with my family, or I think I need to be a better employee at work, or I think I need to be uh, excelling in my education field. And what ends up happening inevitably in each of those situations where we put God on the back burner and we, we withdraw ourselves from, you know, participating in ministries to, to others and, and, in, and in worship, when we withdraw ourselves from responsibilities that we may have in, in spiritual disciplines, both within the community and personally, inevitably we become less and less of ourselves in this attempt to be bettering ourselves, whether as a parent, as a brother, as a husband, as a sister, as a as a wife, as a child, as an employee, as a student. And and I think just as much as the we list off the pornography, the drug addiction, the um, uh, the adulterous relationships, those those vices that we would clearly agree upon, we need to be careful not to let the virtues off the hook, which can just as easily um, be standing there with Loki's staff saying, bow to me. Oh, isn't this natural to be in subserviency to me? Yeah. Well, and then even to forget that, you know, I, I think that it's a mistake to, to kind of make a list and say, okay, God has to be at the top of all this because I think, I think the actual view that God intends for us is to see that he is in all and through all. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 re I really reject and tend to run away from that notion of like, make a list and make sure God's at the top because I think in order for everything to be in order, whether it's family, work, hobbies, whatever, all those things come into relation with the master, you know, and, and not the least, actually the very most, how we relate to one another. And uh, sometimes some of our some of our most godly moments can be with our family, can be with the family of God, but we have to realize that 
you know, somehow we have to make that connection in the midst of it too, that Emmanuel, God is with us in these times, you know, that we, we haven't, we're, we're, we're bad about separating those things out too, I guess I would say. And at that point where we start making the excuse of, well, I've got to quit being here so that I can be here is where we've started creating those lists is is where we keep falling back into that. And, you know, I think Merton describes it very well whenever he talks about this reality of, of not so much seeing, seeing the world in this series of lists as it is just seeing the world as belonging to God. And, and how do we then, live, breathe, move within that in a way that is a healthy relationship with him. Well, as we get to the end of that scene, well, actually, it's towards the end of the Avengers movie. One more time, I I am going to spoil something just right out here. It's my favorite moment in the whole film of the Avengers movie, and I think it encapsulates what we're talking about here. Um, And Matt, would you say that the highlight of the film for you was the Hulk? Um, I would just simply say two words. Puny God. Exactly. There's a part that I just love that Loki is is just about to start his speech. You know, Hulk's about to come at him, it, and it's one of the big climaxes of the film. Uh, and it's not the climax where they stole the ending of Independence Day, um, but it's the climax. <laughs> The, uh, it's the I think they actually stole footage from Independence Day. <laughs> I think they might have with that scene at the end, but we won't tell them about that. But uh, <laughs> the part with the Hulk, and he's just about to just smash Loki, and um, and Loki just starts yelling at him, stop. And I, I can't remember exactly what he's saying, but he's going off on one of these almost Shakespearean-type diatribes where he's full of himself and saying, you know, you're you're a puny nobody. I'm a god, and you'll... And I, and I hearken back to the, what Captain America says earlier in the film where Black Widow refers to Thor and Loki as gods, and Captain America says, ma'am, there's only one god, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> and, uh, and so when we get Hulk in front of Loki, in the middle of Loki, you think he's going to go on, and I, I'm kind of like bracing myself like, great, Loki's going to go off again saying some long speech. <laughs> and I think Hulk, feeling the same way we are, just grabs him and smashes <laughs> I mean, smashes him all over the place, and it's it's like a hilarious moment of the film, and people were laughing so hard, I could barely hear what the Hulk said, but Hulk says exactly what you said at that moment, when Loki, this false god, is laying there on the floor broken, Hulk says, puny god, <laughs> and uh, I I love that, because I feel like that if there's any truth in what Loki was saying at all, if we are... Um, creatures that are prone to kneel, we need to make sure that the thing that we choose to kneel before is not a puny God. And all these other things that we've been discussing today, um, what a beautiful way to describe the things that are not God. They are puny gods, quite simply, that require us to kneel before them in subserviency. Um, But the God that we as Christians claim and the gods that, that we claim to follow in Jesus Christ um is is not a puny god at all he is infinite and and his who he is knows no bounds and uh just what are your thoughts on that because to me that was my favorite moment of the entire film i i just felt like hulk stole the show in that whole movie i uh, i'll have to say that's the first time in a long time that in the midst of watching a movie i wept 
and I was laughing so hard at that scene, I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did well to even stay in my seat as opposed to just falling out on the floor. It was a hilarious scene, well done. Everything about it was perfect. But yeah. if, if you'll give me the, the liberty to, to wax on and probably read way too much theologically into this, um, and, and if not, I guess I'm going to take it anyway because I'm not going to shut up and give you a chance to help me. The, the, the beauty of that scene is when we look at theology, there is this concept of theodicy. Theodicy uh, can be can be boiled down to maybe a little bit oversimplistically, but it can be boiled down to the question of why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, if we serve this uh, this all powerful, um, you know, omnibenevolent God who who knows all things. And by the way, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, and, and we won't get into this because it's probably way too much for your show today. Um, I, I'm I'm an unabashed open theist. Um, I'm not a classical theist. I, I think that those models break down way too easy. Um, but but the this idea that we serve this God who is always good and and knows all things and always is powerful, then why do bad things happen to to good people? And there is probably no one person in the entire Marvel Universe who's more just a genuinely good guy uh, than Bruce Banner. Um, Banner's character is is always nice and benevolent and, and caring and loving, and yet he's doing research for the betterment of humanity, and he has this terrible, horrible thing happen to him, and he... He becomes this this split persona between himself and the Hulk, and part of the Hulk storyline is is this this terrible thing that happened to this great person and trying to make something good out of such a terrible reality. And in this scene, you have a god or a claiming to be god in Loki, who comes face to face with maybe it's a stretch, but with an embodiment of theodicy. And what better illustration to have that if the God that has put a, a truth claim, a, a sovereignty claim on our life, if it's ever going to hold any water, it would have to stand up to the theodicy that we face. Um, a, a very, very close friend of mine uh, and fellow pastor in the church in Nazarene um, this past April made a year uh, since they lost their daughter, um, and they lost her literally um, within a week of the actual due date, and and suffering along with that family, and and trying to embody compassion to that family, and seeing them struggle through the questions and the, the everything that came through that, no puny God could shoulder what that family went through, but this family found faith and reassurance in Jesus Christ because He was not a puny God. And, uh, and I think one of the powerful things about what would otherwise be an absolutely hilarious scene and, and just a really good movie is that you do have a glimpse of that if the God that has placed that truth claim on our life is actually going to be a God who is worthy of following, um, he'll stand up to the theodicies in our life. And one of the cool things you see in that scene is that uh, this puny God does not. Hmm. Well, that's pretty well said, Matt. And uh, I, I don't think I can add a lot to the discussion. We're actually just about at an hour mark, and I try to keep the interviews right under that if I can at all possible. Um, I want to give you just a second 
to think as we're as we're closing down this discussion and again i really thank you for being on here and adding your thoughts because i think they've been really great and um i it's it's nice to talk to somebody else that likes comic books but also can actually see some deeper things because i think all of life um is an exercise a discipline even in learning to look at things through the eyes of the gospel and uh, that that doesn't change even when we're at the theater i don't think or when we're in the pages of a comic book uh, and and again, Josh Whedon, who's I think a pretty well known atheist, um, it's it's always amazing to me in some of his storylines the way that God seems to shine through. And I don't know if that's in spite of him or if God's just that big or what. But um, I'm always grateful for those glimpses, those moments. Um, but Greg, uh, last week on the first part of this two part Avengers theologians assemble podcast. Um, uh, Greg gave some book recommendations actually after our conversation was over uh, and one website that uh, some things that we had talked about on that show, some of the theologies that, that he had mentioned, he wanted to just give listeners um, some some resources if they wanted to read more about what we talked about. And Matt, when I finish giving this list, if you have any that you would like to uh, to add in here to the conversation that are uh, actually more theological type reads that people can go to. I want to give you a chance to do that as well. Uh, but he listed um, a book by Rowan Williams called Writing in the Dust. And that's Rowan Williams, Writing in the Dust. Um, then there's also a, a person named Dan Dale. And he wrote a book called Just War as Christlike Discipleship. And uh, he actually is a person that um, you know, I, I think the, there's not – Greg had said there's not so much a problem with the just war theory as there's not anybody who actually would live it out. And uh, he said that, that Dan Dell is actually kind of a disciple of John Howard Yoder um, and actually wrote a, a really great book called Just War as Christian Discipleship. And I believe that there's a website that he's connected with called thelandofunlikeness.com. That's thelandofunlikeness.com. And then, of course, uh, Greg also recommends a book I recommend, um, The Politics of Jesus by John Howard Yoder. And lastly, The Gospel According to America by David Dark. Uh, so those were things that we ran out of time last week, and I didn't have a chance to um, let Greg tell that. Uh, it was getting late, and we were losing his phone call. Um, but Matt, anything that you would like to add to the conversation? And I don't want to give like people just a huge reading list, but if there's anything that, that you think people might find helpful. Um, yeah, uh, there's actually four books that I would recommend uh, that I think add a lot to this conversation. Uh, one of those is uh, it's a book by um, L. Gregory Jones, and it's called Embodying Forgiveness um, and, and deals with some of these issues from a little bit of a different angle. Uh, but it deals from those issue deals with it from the from the angle of which realizing that we already are in some of these very troubling discussions where some of these offenses and some of these um, puny gods are already taking shape. How do we deal with with getting out and going beyond those things? Um, and of course, I, I know this is going to really surprise you, but uh, we've even mentioned it within this podcast the uh, uh, the idea of cheap and costly grace and. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, yes. uh, is such an incredible read and an incredible challenge for us um, um, as, uh, as human beings. I think two others that I would suggest, um, Miroslav Bolf um, has a book called Exclusion and Embrace. 
Um, and, uh, and in this book, he talks a, a great deal about what it is to truly live, um, to truly live out this Christian life. And, um, at, while I wouldn't put it on the same level as far as the, the power and impact, I think it is a more contemporary, uh, take on some of the stuff that's discussed in cost of discipleship. And, um, and then the last one I would, uh, uh, recommend, and you'll have to forgive me because I've, I've, uh, I've got the book and, and, um, but I've never actually heard the guy introduced by anyone else. And so uh, I'm not really sure how his last name is pronounced. Okay. Uh, but Capon or Capon, uh, Robert Ferrer Capon, um, wrote a book called uh, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment. And basically it walks through just the parables of Jesus and and deals with some of these issues that we've talked about of, of kingdom of God versus uh, rulers of, of puny gods. Uh, in the world in which we live and, and is a phenomenal read uh, to really get some new light and to, uh, to see some of the uh, uh, some light on the uh, these, these parables, which are such a, a prominent um, uh, preaching and teaching point in the Christian church anyway, and to hear them from a very, very uh, different view. Great. Well, thank you for those recommendations. And as for my part, I'll just recommend the book Good Morning Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Not not at all. Oh, he's uh, he's coming to Louisville uh, <laughs> in June, and uh, I got a phone call the other day that uh, I can sign up, and any pastoral friends, we can get special seating if you're interested. All right, man. Well, and again, like you said before in an email, Trip York should come with us because if we can if we can't find the devil anywhere else, he's definitely going to be at a Benny Hinn place. I'm, I'm, I, and I still stand by that uh, that comment with no sarcasm whatsoever. <laughs> well, let me say, voices in my head, listeners, not a fan of Benny Hinn. So uh, if you want my recommendation, run as far as you can from Benny Hinn. Pray for the man. But um, anyway, thanks for listening to Voices in My Head today. If you've enjoyed what you heard, I, I please, I'm, I'm asking you to go to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast. The more reviews we get, the actually the more visibility we have online, and uh, we've we've been moving up in visibility. Actually, I've been very pleased with the new listeners and the new comments we've been getting, and uh, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you think about the podcast and what we're doing. And uh, I, if you want me to continue bringing on great guests like Matthew Cole and uh, some of the musical artists we've had in the past and authors, uh, a couple weeks ago we had author Brett McCracken, who wrote a great book called Hipster Christianity. If I give a book recommendation today, I think I'm going to recommend that one to everyone, especially pastors, because it's an easy read, but it's one that's very necessary in uh, looking at the generation that's currently the young generation, I would say, um, in the church and out of the church today. So, uh, But anyway, I, I do appreciate you listening to Voices in My Head. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much for being here as a guest again today for the second time. I appreciate it. And uh, can I make one more recommendation before we uh, we we call it quits? Sure. Um, if uh, if you are a a newer listener to this uh, podcast, I would recommend going back and uh, and picking up uh, some of the old ones. But uh, if if you only have to pick one, uh, there is a uh, and you'll have to tell me which number it is, Rick. I, I don't know, but the uh, the one where you did a uh, an interview with Human was just a phenomenal podcast, and and any pastor um, that is interested in and and how worship is going in his or her local parish really needs to go back and listen to that particular podcast. Uh, yeah, that was with Fred Human, and I, boy, I think it's like a, I want to say number eleven. I think it might be. I think it's the week after Andrew Peterson. I'm I'm trying to 
remember what week, but Fred's such a good guy. I actually stayed with Fred when I was in Nashville last time and uh, got a, to get an autograph uh, copy of his book, and it's it's really worthwhile stuff. So thank you for that recommendation, and I, I, I too recommend that one very highly. Um, as I do all the guests that I've had, I don't think I've had a I don't think I've had a dud guest yet. So well, you did uh, say Greg is coming up soon, right? Well, yeah. The, <laughs> well, the, just before you actually last <laughs> week was Greg. So um, let's you, you don't have much to follow. That's <laughs> I'm kidding. We love Greg Boyles. So well, I'm going to stop the recording right about here. Matthew, thank you for being one of the voices in my head today. Thanks, I appreciate it. You've been listening to Voices in My Head the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.